message from Trinity Grace Church in San Antonio, Texas. For more information, please visit trinitygracesa.org. Well, I want to welcome you once again to Trinity Grace. We're so glad that you're here, especially if you're a guest with us this morning. And if you have a copy of God's Word, you'll want to turn it to Romans chapter 8. The passage is also printed for you in your worship folder. And kids, as always, I'd love for you to be listening for the following three things in the sermon this morning. First, be listening for how many times Paul uses the word adoption in the New Testament. A little Bible trivia for you this morning. How many times does Paul use the word adoption in the New Testament? Second, be listening for what the word Abba means. What the word Abba means. And third, be listening for a story about an orphanage. A story about an orphanage. Well, this morning we are continuing our Easter season sermon series, say that 12 times fast, considering the rich encouragement that we find in Romans chapter 8. As we continue to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus together, you would be hard-pressed to find a better portion of Scripture that outlines the practical benefits we get to experience in our lives because Jesus was raised from the dead. As we've mentioned, Romans is considered by many to be the pinnacle of Scripture, a letter where the wonders of salvation and God's grace are beautifully laid out for us. And if you were to identify the pinnacle of the letter of Romans, chapter 8 would have to be the mountaintop. This chapter is the pinnacle of the pinnacle, so to speak. Romans 8 is the chapter where Paul really presses home the so what of such a great salvation. What kind of difference does the person and work of Jesus make in our lives? That's what Romans 8 is all about. We spent the past two weeks considering verses 1 through 11 of this chapter. In the first week, we saw that Jesus came to accomplish what we never could. He came and he lived a completely obedient life on our behalf. And he died as a sin offering in order to satisfy God's justice against sin and to absorb God's wrath. And because of this, we can now experience relationship with God. Because of this, God even wants to come and make his home inside of our hearts, Romans 8 says. Last week, we considered the truth that the Holy Spirit does dwell in our hearts which means we've got resurrection power inside of us. We have the resources that we need to walk in newness of life and to experience the joy and the freedom that Christ has won for us. And it shouldn't come as a surprise that Paul continues his exercise and logic this morning, further exploring the benefits and implications of Christ's work. It gets even better, according to Paul, as we continue on in Romans chapter 8. He continues to drive the beauty and the glory of the gospel deeper into our hearts, showing us that God's grace towards us gets even better than what we've already read. To see what I mean, you follow along as I read from Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 12. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. 
Well, this is God's word. He gives it to us because he loves us and he wants us to know him. What is at the heart of Christianity? What is Christianity all about at the end of the day? I wonder how you'd answer that question this morning. Often we're confused about what Christianity actually is and what it's all about. It's not a journey of self-actualization or a journey of self-improvement or a journey to implement good advice in our lives. That's not at the heart of Christianity. In fact, you could say that those ideas are directly opposed to the message of Christianity. So what's at the heart of Christianity? If you had to summarize the New Testament in a single phrase, what would be your phrase? Well, J.I. Packer, who's a theologian who wrote a book entitled Knowing God, which is arguably one of the best books, Christian books, that's been written in the past 100 years. We have it on our book table. I would encourage you, if you've never read it, uh, to pick it up. I recommend it for theological substance, and it's really devotional in nature as well. But in that book, Packer has a chapter on spiritual adoption, where he says this, and the quote's for you, uh, printed for you at the, at the front of your bulletin if you want, want to follow along. He says, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. For everything that Christ taught, everything that makes the New Testament new and better than the old, everything that is distinctively Christian as opposed to merely Jewish is summed up in the knowledge of the fatherhood of God. Father is the Christian name for God. Our understanding of Christianity cannot be better than our grasp of adoption. Adoption. Spiritual adoption is the outcome of God's gracious plan. Spiritual adoption, you could say, is where the sacrificial work of Jesus leads us. Spiritual adoption is the result of the Holy Spirit giving us new hearts. And as Paul continues to trace the practical benefits that we receive because of Christ's resurrection, he wants to teach us more deeply about our adoption in this passage. You should know that the word adoption is not common in the New Testament. It's a word only used by Paul. And he only uses it five times, three of which are in this letter to the Romans. And it's a term that doesn't occur in the Old Testament at all, since the Jews didn't really practice adoption. They had other ways uh, to go about caring for orphans. Uh, They didn't do adoption. Paul took the idea of adoption from Greek and Roman law, and probably for two reasons. First, he was primarily writing to Greeks and to Romans. He wasn't writing necessarily to Jews. So adoption, being a part of their culture, was something that they could all very readily understand. Second, the word was useful to Paul because it signified being granted the full rights and privileges of sonship and a family to which one does not belong by nature. That's what adoption is. You don't belong to this family by nature, but you're brought into it and you're given all the rights and privileges of being a child. And according to Paul, that's exactly what happens to believers in salvation where we were removed from the family of Adam, so to speak, and placed in the family of Christ, where we're removed from a family that's characterized by dysfunction and misery and need, and we're placed in a family characterized by harmony and peace and abundant provision. How we experience adoption in our world, it's a beautiful picture of what God does for us in a spiritual sense. 
I know that there are some people in this room who have gone to extraordinary lengths to adopt a child. And if you know someone who's adopted, then you've likely seen the time and the work that it takes, the emotional strain, the patience, the money spent, the time spent, the disappointments, the change of plans, the surprises all along the way. And then when that child gets home, there's often even more challenges. You think of a transition, learning a new way of life, adopting a new culture, getting to know each other, assimilation with other siblings. I'm sure the list could go on. Some of you have experienced these extraordinary challenges. And you do it all over again in talking to you. And that process that we've all experienced, either directly or by observing someone else go through it, is the experience God uses to describe what he's done with us. But in an even more grand and ultimate way. When you consider what it costs God to bring us into his family, when you consider the lengths to which God went to adopt us, it's clear that he must really want us. He must really want us as his children. And according to how our posture toward an affection for God is described in the scriptures, there's lots of reasons that he should not want us. But he does. God graciously adopts us. And because of what Christ has done, God brings us into his family as sons and daughters. As followers of Jesus, we have been taken out of the orphanage, so to speak, and brought into God's family. In our adoption, it changes the way that we relate to the world changes the way we relate to one another. When once you're not a part of a family and then you're brought into a family, it changes the way you live. If you're in Christ this morning, one thing that is true is that you have been adopted. And for those of us who have never experienced that physically, like myself, who don't really believe the fact that we're spiritual orphans, that can be hard to grasp. You have been adopted. But Paul reminds us in a very objective way, whether we subjectively feel it or not, that we have been adopted by God. And now we can turn and ask ourselves some questions in light of our adoption. Questions like, is your new family the most important defining characteristic about you? Are you enjoying the privileges that come along with being a part of this new family? Are you living in light of your adoption, adopting the characteristics in the culture of your new family? Well, let's consider those questions this morning by looking at our adoption under three headings. We're going to look at a new status, new privileges, and new calling. New status, new privileges, new calling. First, let's take a look at our new status. We've already touched on the fact that adoption gives someone a new status that they didn't have before. In the Greco-Roman world, which was the context for Paul's letters, Households were made up of both children and servants. Children and servants both existed and lived under the same roof oftentimes. And as you might imagine, there was a big difference between children and servants in the first century. In the first century, children and servants had completely different experiences. They lived different lives. They expected to experience vastly different futures. Children, they were secure. Children were protected. Children were cared for. Children enjoyed the rights of inheritance. The status that came along with the family name. The benefit of having special access to the owners of the household. That's what children had. While servants were unprotected. Servants were vulnerable. They were liable to mistreatment. 
And it all hinged on their status. Were they a child or were they a servant? Now, in that culture, a Roman man could legally adopt a child. He could take a servant and he could give that person a completely new status. If a Roman man legally adopted one of his servants, that person was then given the same status as his birth children. And once a servant was adopted and his status changed, their life was completely different, as you might imagine. The adopted child once had no security, but now they're protected. They once had no name, but now they bear the family name. They once didn't belong, but now they do. They once had no inheritance, but now they have hope for the future. And one of the things Paul is trying to get us to understand is that adoption is not natural. What's natural is that we remain orphans. What would, what would be expected is for us to remain in the family of our first parent, Adam, right? Where we would continue to suffer the dysfunction and the harm of that family. That would be natural, but adoption isn't natural. Adoption is a gift. Adoption is unmerited favor. You could say that adoption is the gift, capital V, the gift that Christ has won for us. It's where we're led, where God can now freely pull us in and give us the full rights and privileges as heirs. In verse 14, Paul says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. And it's hard for us to understand how radical this idea would have been to Paul's original audience. For a group like us that has grown up in 21st century America and a culture that is deeply influenced by Christianity, it's not surprising for you and me to think of ourselves as God's sons and daughters. That doesn't come as a shock, I imagine. But it's a belief that's really unique to Christianity. This would have been brand new to the readers that were reading this letter for the first time, that you could be an adopted child of God. I mean, you got to let that sink in for a minute. It would have been a brand new way to think about relationship with a deity in the first century. You can be adopted by God. In our spiritual adoption, we go from orphans to children, from those who had no hope in this world to those with a secure future. And the good news about God's adoption is that it opens up the potential for anyone to experience God's goodness. This would have been radical as well. I mean, it's not just for the firstborn. It's not just for the males. No, we can all be children of God, according to Paul. That would have been a new idea in the first century world as well, a radical idea. When God adopts us, he gives us a new status. We no longer live as servants. We no longer belong to our old family. Instead, we get to live as children. We belong to a new family, and we need God to adopt us. We need him to make us our, his children. Now, let's turn and spend some time looking at what kind of new privileges we experience alongside this new status. As you might imagine, alongside our new status comes new privileges. As we're taken from servant to child, it shouldn't come as a surprise that our relationship with God changes. You see some of the new privileges we enjoy highlighted by Paul in verses 15, 16, and 17. According to Paul, in our adoption, our relationship with God is transformed. As adopted children, we're brought into a new intimate relationship with God. In verse 15, Paul says that we can now cry out to God with the phrase, Abba, Father. And to appreciate what Paul is saying in this verse, you need to know that in the first century Greco-Roman world, there were three languages that were primarily spoken. You had Greek, which was the language of culture and commerce. 
You had Hebrew, which was the language of religion, the language of the Jewish people. And you had Aramaic, which was the language of family. It was spoken between family and friends. It's actually the language Jesus would have most often used with his disciples and in everyday relationships. And Paul uses the Aramaic here in Romans, and that's significant. I mean, this word was so striking to the disciples that they remembered it in its Aramaic form and wrote it in Aramaic even when they were writing their letters in Greek. They didn't translate it. They left it as is, Abba. We have the privilege of intimacy with God. Paul very intentionally uses this Aramaic phrase, Abba, Father. It wasn't a term commonly used in public. Certainly never applied to God by a Jewish man. Especially by Jewish people and especially by Romans. As they thought about their deities would have never thought of this word Abba. It's a term of intimacy. The way a child would speak to his dad in his home. And to a Jewish mind, a prayer addressing God as Father would not only have been improper, it would have been irreverent to the highest degree. Yet this is how Jesus addressed God in his prayers. It's how he taught his disciples to pray. And it quite naturally stuck in the minds of the disciples. I mean, it was something very unique when Jesus taught his disciples to call God Father. And it's worth recognizing that when we think of our earthly fathers, the best images don't always come to mind. And that's a, it's a very real, real hurdle to get over when we want to think of our Heavenly Father. And so it's worth recognizing that God isn't an abusive Father. God, He's not an absent Father. God is not an emotionally absent Father. Our Heavenly Father is gentle and loving, and He calls us to know Him. And look, it is good to call Him God. It's good to call Him Lord and Master and Creator. All of those titles are good and right, but you and I also get to and should call him Father. We get to call him Father. I mean, I'd even encourage you, that should be the primary name we use when we think of God. Father. Remember, J.I. Packer said, Father is the Christian name for God. We also see another privilege of our adoption in verse 16, where Paul writes, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Now, this verse is a bit nebulous. I was reading it this week, and it feels mysterious. It's hard to empirically prove this verse, right? But Paul's trying to help us appreciate the Spirit's work. Even when you can't pinpoint it, the Spirit is doing something in your heart. The language Paul uses here is courtroom language. The Holy Spirit is a witness to what God has done. He's testifying. He's there to assure us of who we are in Christ. The Holy Spirit, in a sense, is put on the stand to tell the truth about who we are. And he's there so that we might experience the reality of that truth. We've been given a new status. And the Spirit comes and he applies that new status in a way that we can actually feel. Now that makes Presbyterians a little nervous. But we can feel this application. Through the Spirit, we're given an assurance. We can't always put our finger on it. The other privilege we get to experience as adopted children is that we're heirs. We see Paul draws this line of connection in verse 17 where he writes, If we're children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. And there's a tight connection between adoption and children and heir, according to Paul. 
We're adopted and we're made children and we're given an inheritance. And it's a logical line, a reminder of who you are. If you are in Christ, you are a co-heir with him. And with Christ, we will one day inherit everything. We'll inherit all the goodness and all the beauty that God has to offer. That kind of gift, that kind of future security, it should be transformative. So we've seen some of the privileges we have as adopted children. Now let's turn and consider our new calling as adopted children. When we're adopted as children, we are called to a new way of life. God's adoption transforms us. Adoption transfers us out of one realm and into another realm. We move out of the kingdom of sin and death and into the kingdom of grace and life. God's adoption of us as his children radically transforms us. It moves us out of a spirit of slavery into a spirit of sonship. And now that we've been adopted and moved into this new realm, there are new family rules that you and I get to live by. Family values that we're meant to embody and to embrace. And sometimes adopting these new values can be challenging. And there's a learning curve to it in many ways. In verse 18, Paul reminds us that as adopted children, we are going to have to share in Christ's suffering. And suffering is one of our family values as God's children. And that's a tough reality because we generally only want to share in Christ's glory, right? We only want to share in the good stuff. But if we're in union with Jesus, we should expect to share in his sufferings, according to Paul. If we're going to be siblings with Jesus, we shouldn't expect better treatment than he received. And we're called to follow his path of suffering that eventually leads to life and glory. You go through death in order to reach life. That's the way of Jesus, our older brother. That's what we should expect as well. And it reminds me of the Exodus where God's people are rescued out of slavery And God is leading them to a land of freedom and peace. Yet on the journey, they begin to experience suffering and hardship. And what do you read? They constantly want to go back to slavery. They constantly remember slavery and think, man, life was better back there. Let's get back there as quickly as we can. They long for their lives as slaves, letting their temporary suffering pull them off mission. And according to Paul in Romans 8, we experience the same challenge today. He lays it out by asking, do you want to go back to slavery? Do you want to go back to a spirit of slavery and fall back into fear? Or do you want to press on? Do you want to move forward in the spirit of adoption where it might be difficult and you're going to suffer, but where you know God is your father and you get to enjoy his loving care? As those adopted by God, we are meant to take on the family characteristics, to adopt the family values, so to speak. We're meant to emulate our father, to walk in his steps like father, like son. And we know how this works in our own lives. And if you grew up with a warm, loving father, you know what it's like to want to be like your dad. And I've seen it with my own kids, them wanting to mow the grass like their dad or shave like their dad or drive a car like their dad or drink a beer like their dad. You know, they want to do it all. And Paul is calling us to leave the spirit of slavery and live into the spirit of adoption. Where we know God as Father. Where we adopt the new family values. Where we move into suffering so that others might taste life. Paul's encouraging us not to go back into slavery. Don't go back to treating God like anything but a loving father. 
And it reminds me of an account I heard not long ago. I've shared it before from a pastor who described how he and his wife went overseas to adopt two sons from an orphanage in Russia. And he described what this facility was like. It was very, very sad. And it wasn't sad like it was a nice facility with all these lonely children inside. He described it as a place full of children who almost don't look human because of the expression on their faces and the facility. It's nightmarish. And these kind of facilities are really all over the world. And so they walk into the orphanage. They've completed all the paperwork. All the you know, dots have been... All the I's have been dotted, T's have been crossed, whatever. And they're about to take their two boys home. And and this is where the pastor picks up his story. My wife and I at long last received the call that the legal process was over. We returned to Russia to pick up our new sons. We found that their transition from orphanage to family was more difficult than we had supposed. We dressed the boys in outfits our parents had bought for them. We nodded our thanks to the orphanage personnel and walked out into the sunlight to the terror of the two boys. They'd never seen the sun. They'd never felt the wind. They'd never heard the sound of a car door slamming. I noticed they were shaking and reaching back to the orphanage in the distance. And I whispered to Sergey, now Timothy, that place is a pit. If only you knew what was waiting for you, a home with a mommy and daddy who love you, grandparents and great-grandparents and cousins and playmates and McDonald's Happy Meals. But all they knew was the orphanage. It was squalid, but they had no other reference point. It was home. And what we've got to understand is if we're children of God, it is God who has come to pull us out of the pit and into the sunlight, and he's given us new family and a real inheritance. And what comes naturally to you and I is to want to scream and to reach back to our old way of life. It's what we know. I mean, it's, it's the way we're predisposed. It's what we're fighting against together as we learn a completely new way of life as we adopt our new family values. Paul is reminding us that we have been part of a supernatural rescue mission. And as a result of that rescue, you have been adopted as a child of God. And now you get to live into your new status as a child. You get to enjoy all the privileges that come along with that status. And you get to engage a new way of life with the power of the Spirit living inside your heart. All because God has graciously adopted us as His children. Let me pray for us this morning. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the good news that you have adopted people like us into your family. We thank you for giving us a new status, for giving us a bright future, for allowing us to enjoy all the privileges that come along with being your children. We thank you for giving us a new calling, for giving us new values to live by. And we pray that as we continue to move in that direction towards living out those values, that you would give us the power to do so, so that we might experience deep joy in life, and so that others might taste the same. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.